Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, it says uh, all, all beginnings are difficult, and it's that's from the Talmud, and it's 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 interesting because the the, the term beginnings are are in the plural. So 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 I, I I heard a teaching on that, an explanation. I don't remember from who, but the idea being that um, if oftentimes if you actually want to begin a, a new project, or if you want to um, or if you want to attack a problem, or w whatever it is, you want to sort of like start a business, or you want to just, it's, uh, whatever it is, that oftentimes um, multiple beginnings are, are, are required. In other words, it doesn't just take one beginning. It takes, um, it takes several attempts to, to launch something. And if you know that from the outset, that's, that's important because you won't get frust as frustrated if you understand that, okay, well, it didn't necessarily work the first time. Let's try it again from this angle, or whatever it is. So I think that, for me anyway, that gives me a lot of strength, because I understand that <clears throat> launching something doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily supposed to go smoothly. And, um, you know, if you look at the beginning of the Torah, there's no better example of that than the beginning of the Torah, because here... At the, at the very outset, God launches this 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 epic this epic 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 thing called the universe creation, mm -hmm. and we see that from the very outset, there all these X factors start throwing the the course of what seems to be what could have been a, a smooth ride, right? In terms of um, human beings who are tasked with sort of finishing off creation. Uh, as partners with God, you know, together finishing it off, that somehow um, things go off. And then you, you see this amazing second Parsha of the Torah, Parsha's Noach, where God says, I'm going to start the whole thing over again. This is, like, incredible, actually. It's incredible that you've got a brand new creation on the heels of the previous creation. So again, this idea of all beginnings are, are difficult, right? Now, nothing is hard for God, but all sorts of revelations are, are being communicated to us, like, you know, like thousands and thousands of like, truths are being, being advanced here, and it's just a question of just trying to grasp any of them, really. But I want to sort of like take a step back, a couple of steps back, because... Um, there, there's something that you'll notice if you read the account of creation, especially the first seven days of creation. And that's, you see, God saying over and over and over and over and over again, it's good. And a very remarkable thing. God creates the world and he says it's good. And he saw this and he made this and it's good and it's good and it's good. Um, the only day where God doesn't say that it's good is the second day of creation. Because that's where... Basically, um, the, the upper waters and the lower waters are separated, and they, you know, all sort of uh, mystics, you know, point to that day as this, like, giant sort of, like, um, mystery, basically, of, you know, what, what really went down, you know? But, but basically, because there was separation there, that's, that, that, God doesn't mention that it's good. But then, already, the day after, he says it's good twice. 
So making up for the one day that he didn't say it's good. And then by the last day, or by, by the sixth day, Friday, God is already using the term very good, which is actually really, really confusing if you look at the commentaries, because we, we, when we say very good, we think, wow, even better than good. But if you look at the, if you look at the commentaries, they say very good refers to death in the Yetzirah there. So it's sort of like, well, what's going on there? So that's, that's a whole other subject. But anyway, you see the word good again, though. <laughs> you know, you see, and you see the word good even in the context of something that seems like on the, on the, on the surface of it, you know, is, is, not, um, is not immediately understandable as good. But anyway, why is God saying good? And I just... Uh, I, I sort of flashed on this kind of like image of like someone being awoken suddenly. And then, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you wake someone up and they're like completely disoriented. And then you have to just say some calming words to them, right? Just so that they kind of like relax a little bit and they, maybe they were in the middle of a, a like a, a heavy dream or something like that. Who knows? But you sort of like ease their transition into into being awake, into consciousness. And it's almost as though when the creation of the world comes, it's like so shocking for us. Or after the holidays end and we're back into the rhythm of the year, it's almost so shocking to us that God is going over and over again, it's okay, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And it's, it's actually like a real chesed, because, because we're understandably confused by, by this world. And um, I want to tell you, uh, I want to tell you one of my favorite stories, um, which is, this is a story I heard from Reb Shlomo Karlobach uh, in the, it's, it's, it's the story of, of how Rebbe Nachman of Breslau became a Rebbe. And I, I haven't really seen it in any of the Rebbe Nachman books that I've read. So I guess it's a rare story, you know? Um, but maybe, it, maybe it's there and I just haven't seen it. But anyway, so here, here's, here's what, Reb, what I remember Reb Shlomo saying, that, uh, that, that back at that time, that the people's lifespan, lifespans were very short. And as a result, people got married very young. This was in Russia, right? In the like, early 1800s, basically. And um, so he was, I don't know if he was 13 or 14, but something like this, and he was going to get married. And he was standing in front of his um, wedding hall, and you can imagine, like, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov, like, he's, like, one of the holiest souls that, that's ever lived. And what, what would, like, the young Rebbe Nachman, like, look like? And what, what would his eyes look like? What, what would it look like for him to stare into your eyes? And he's standing in front of the his hall, and as people are walking in, he's looking them in the eyes, and he's asking each person, why are you here? And, you know, the people are getting sort of like a little bit thrown, like like they don't know how to respond, you know, they're coming to his wedding, and he's asking them, why are you here, you know? So, the, you know, one says, uh, you know, whatever it is, I'm, you know, you haven't seen me since you were young, but I'm your, you know, uncle's cousin, or whatever it is, everyone's giving a different explanation, and he's like, why are you here? And it's like, oh, you know, we, we haven't met yet. I'm on your wife's side, you know. So, so another, like, young guy comes up, 
and who's also on fire. And he looks into his eyes and he says, why are you here? And the person says back to him, you know, I, weigh, I, I lay awake nights asking myself the same question. Right? So he's the first person who understood what Rabbi Nachman was asking. And he says, you know, there's a group of us who lay awake nights also asking ourselves this question. And we meet in the forest and we learn. And Rabbi Nachman started learning with them, you know, it's sometime after that. And that's how he became, became a Rebbe. That was the beginning. And so that, that, um, that story is very meaningful to me because it's sort of like um, all of us, so to speak, are, are born in the middle, it feels like. Meaning to say we, we're all sort of like entering creation in the middle of the story. Um, it's, and it's, it's like, you know, I, t- I tell you an, an, an another story, another favorite story, just trying to, trying to communicate this idea because it's, I think it's an important idea. So, so years ago I was driving, I was listening to the, the radio, and they had this, this news report about um, the monarch butterfly. And the monarch butterfly, and they, they write about it all the time, and they've been trying to solve this, this, this um, question for decades. And I don't know, I haven't read the last few articles, I've sort of saved them and I haven't read them. It's possible they've solved this mystery, but I'm not sure. But whether they have or they haven't, this has baffled, baffled scientists for, for a long time, okay? Decades and decades. So what, what is the mystery? And when I first tell you the problem, it will sound like not amazing at all. But when you think of, the more you think about it, the more amazing it actually is. So basically, there are these monarch butterflies that every year start off in Mexico and they end up in Canada. And so you, probably you're thinking, well, you're, he was right. That is not amazing. <laughs> like, well, you know, like, like, what is so great about that? So here, here's what's so intriguing about it. Like the more you hear, the more intriguing it becomes, which is that the monarch butterfly doesn't live that long. It's got a pretty short lifespan, which means that every year the monarch butterfly colony, which starts off in Mexico, has never been to Canada and doesn't know that Canada exists and wouldn't even know how to get to Canada if it wanted to go to Canada because it doesn't know there's a Canada. Now, every year, they start flying toward Canada. They have babies, and then the parents die because, like I said, they don't live long. So the children are born on the road to Canada, but the children certainly don't know that they're going to Canada, and they don't know that there's a Canada. And they have babies, and then they die. And now the grandchildren are born in the middle, somewhere in the middle between Mexico and Canada, and they for sure don't know that they're going anywhere or that they have to go someplace. And it's something like the great-grandchildren of the original group who had never been to Canada before to begin with arrives in Canada every year. And then, after some time, they go back to Mexico 
not knowing that there's such a thing as Mexico. <laughs> and the same, the same process repeats itself. So when I, when I heard that, I thought, wow, that's the story of the Jewish people. That all of us, especially us now, we're like these generations that are these the in-between generations, the generations who are born on the road, and we're all going to Israel. All of us are going to Israel, and as Rabbi Nachman says, that every step a Jew takes, he's heading toward Israel, even if he's heading in the opposite direction. He's still heading toward Israel. So we're all going to Israel, but a lot of us don't know it. (laughs) But we're going there anyway. But how is it that we're going to make it to Israel? Because it says that, you know, in the future, from the four corners of the world, all the, all the Jews are going to be ingathered and, and go in. And if you, if you read what's so amazing about what, what's going on in Israel today is you, you see this, this, this process, this prophecy being fulfilled in front of our eyes, including if you, um, you, know, if you Google around lost tribes of Israel. Like there's, um, they say that the, the tribe of Menashe, or part of the tribe of Menashe, from northern India, just Google that, wow. and you'll see that they have kept, there's this like group of people completely isolated from the Jewish people for I don't know how long, maybe hundreds or a thousand or more years. And they have all these Jewish customs, and groups of them are now in Israel. They've been brought to Israel. And there are other examples of this. But you, you, you see, you see this, this phenomena happening, nefesh benefesh, is, is, is an example of this happening on a regular basis. But we're sort of like, oh yeah, people are just kind of moving. Like, oh, you're moving to Indiana, you're moving to Texas, oh, you're moving to Israel. But wait a second, you're moving where and why and what is like the, what is, you know, like we just, we, we aren't aware of the, 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 the epicness, essentially, of, of, of what's taking place. So, so we're all heading there. And how is it that we're all heading there? Because we all have this, like, you see, it says in the Talmud that when, when we're in our mother's stomach, an angel comes and teaches us the entire Torah. And then when we're born, the angel touches us on the lip and we, we, we forget. Right? But we have this GPS, which I, I heard, I think, Lori Palatnik says it's a, the God positioning system. Right? So we have, we have this GPS inside of us from when we originally learned the Torah. Right? And it, 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 it steers us. It steers us to certain places. But, but I want to get back to what the original point is. The original point is, is that all of us are sort of born in the middle of the story. Right? I, I heard, like, mystically speaking, it's very rare for a new soul to come down. Like, I think that we can all assume that we're returning souls, meaning to say that there's some tikkun that we're here for. Like as Reb Shlomo says, this whole world is like a hospital clinic. And all of us are here to repair something. Right? That's, that's, I think that's probably the assumption that we should have about ourselves or how we should approach ourselves. That we're all here in order to fix something. But that means that this is not our first time here, which means that not just on a historical level, meaning starting with Abraham and Sarah, are we born in the middle of this epic journey back to Israel? 
But in terms of our own personal life narrative, we're also in the middle of our own story because there's other lives that, you know, previous lifetimes that we've led that we don't have access to. And by the way, there are, I guess, individuals who will try to take you on a journey to your previous incarnations. Avoid them like the plague. They might be very sweet people. Avoid them like the plague. Do not do that. Do not do that. I know the story of someone who did that and it really ended horribly, horribly for him. So, and what is that person now? I mean, the person might be very sincere and might have certain techniques that they feel are very wonderful and what's wrong with it. I'm not judging the people. Just don't go to those people. Okay? So, anyway. God conceals this information from us for a reason. God has many news sources. <laughs> More than ever. <laughs> There's no problem getting us information if God wants to get us information. Certain things are concealed for a reason. Okay, so anyway. Moving forward, what, what, I'm, what I'm, I'm, I'm building to a point here, which is the idea that if you're born in the, in the middle of something, that you might sort of be... Um, you might sort of just sort of like uh, take certain, um, just reconcile yourself to certain pieces of, of information that you're never going to know, like, say, a previous life, who you were in a previous life. That would be a good example of not knowing it. But in the process of sort of like reconciling yourself with sort of like the general confusion of the world, a person will tend to lump certain areas into, well, I just don't know and I'll never know. No, no, no. That you can know. <laughs> no, no, that part you can know. And that part you actually have to know. You have to know that part. Don't just sort of lump it into the general like, well, what do I know, you know? It's like, you know, lahab deal, but you know, kind of like dogs, like sometimes they, they do certain things like and they don't know they did anything wrong. And then they get you know, just like knocked across the nose with a rolled up newspaper and the poor dog, like it's like doesn't know what he did. You know what I mean? And I think on some level most of us are that dog. <laughs> we're just sort of like we're just kinda like wandering around and we get whacked and we're like, why? Why? You know, so so but unlike the dog <laughs> There is certain crucial information that we can get, which is, now returning back to this story of Rebbe Nachman, why are we here? Why are we here? This is something that we have to ask ourselves. Or, or going even further than that, why is there a world? Or what, what is this world? Can we take ten steps back and consider the fact that there doesn't have to be a world. Like, to me, that's like a really important premise. Like, I think that we just, we just, we make certain assumptions because, like I say, we're in the middle and we're born in the middle and we live in the middle. And so there's sort of like, we just sort of take um, the context that surrounds us and we accept that as an automatic but we have to strip away that, that, that those, those assumptions 
because there are no automatics, especially when it comes to something as epic as God creating the, the universe and, and, and us. So there doesn't have to be a world. So God all of a sudden creates this world. And it's sort of like, well, why did he do that? Like, what's it for? What am I so, what, what's it for? So now with this in mind, I want to um, touch on uh, a thought that from the from the Rumen over Rebbe, and I, you know, I tell you just so, just a just a brief aside. I, I just it, it probably won't be meaningful to you, but it just uh, it's just something that just kind of like amazes me on some level, which is that the first the first Hasidic story that I ever remember hearing from Reb Shlomo when I was around fourteen was about the the Rumen over Rebbe, right? And when I met my wife. And I met her mother, you know, you know, just as part of the conversation, I asked, so, so where are you from, you know? And she said, well, I'm from Rumenov. I'm from Rumenov, Poland, you know? Like, she wasn't a descendant of the Rumenov Rebbe, but her aunt was like one of the nurses of the Rumenov Rebbe, you know? Like, was part of that medical staff, I guess. Anyway. Like Ruminov, right? So, so the Ruminov Rebbe, just so you know, was was the was the like the right hand man. He was a big tzaddik, he's a very big tzaddik, and he was the right hand man of the Chos of Lublin, the Seer of Lublin. He was, he was a very very great tzaddik, and you know, you know, very very renowned, very renowned. Um, so he he. I saw him writing a little bit about just the fact that there's a world at all. You know? So, so again, I'm, I'm just trying to get us into the mindset of just sort of like asking ourselves, well, why, did, why is there even a world? There doesn't have to be a world. So now with that in mind, because now we're far enough removed to, I think, appreciate this, right? He says, well, let's look at the first letter of the Torah. And so, as we mentioned before, the whole, the whole Torah can be summed up, is, is contained within the word breishis. And breishis is summed up in the first letter of the Torah. So if you want to think of like a, almost like an upside down pyramid, it's like the whole Torah, or the whole universe, because God made the universe out of the Torah, is balancing on the base of breishis. Right? So, so he says that that there's certain letters, seven letters, they're called doubled letters. And it's interesting that there's seven because I think on, on a deep level it's referring to the what they call the Zion Tachtonum, which are the seven lower spheros. Okay, but let's put that aside for a moment. That the that the that there's seven letters and that and that the this category of letters in the Hebrew alphabet are letters that have dots in them. Now, now, the first letter of the Torah is interesting because for to make that letter, which is the base of Breshis, you don't need the dot. It could be the letter Vays. It would still be the same letter. It's one of those doubled letters that can go either way. That's the point. The point is that it can go either way. So... He says that that 
that people enter into the world and they can use this world for what it was actually made to be used for or not. <laughs> she can go through an entire lifetime misusing or missing the point of what <coughs> all of creation was built for. Now that's a very primary thought to think that a pr- like and you, you want to hear something even crazier? The person can have a genius IQ. The person can have a genius IQ and be in the world and miss the essential point of the entire enterprise. I, I think that that's sort of like a terrifying thought. Mm-hmm. I think that's a terrifying thought. So, so he says that that if you that the the that the dot in the bay the dot that makes it into a base allows you to so to speak pronounce the word properly as it was meant to be pronounced. So you get you get a b sound, right? The b of brachies, right? But had it been a vase, listen to this. Had it been a vase, right, and you just heard it, you could have thought that it was a vav. Which means that a person can be experiencing this world and they're hearing it, but they're hearing the wrong thing. (laughs) And they'll say to you, well, wait, it's a v, right? V, right? Okay, so now I'm turning right. No, 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 turn left. No, no, now I'm turning left. No, 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 turn right. <coughs> but wait, it's a v. No, no, it's definitely a v. Right, I'm looking at the calendar. That, that does say Saturday, right? No, 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 it says Shabbos. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, we're talking about the same box on the calendar, right? The 15th, yeah, the 15th, yeah. It's Saturday, right? No, 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 it's Shabbos. So, you hear the v, which grounds you and, 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 and makes you think that you're very much in the program, but at the same time, something else is being communicated. So, he says that he, the, the Ruminover, again, this is all the Ruminover, me trying to explain the Ruminover, that the, the, the Ruminover then points to something very interesting in the Torah. He says that sometimes it says, Shemaim va'aretz, like, Breshis Baralo Kimesa Shemaim va'aretz, which means the heaven and the earth. By the way, the Medrash says something amazing, just as an aside, but just, it's so good that. That, that God is not like us. Right? So, how so? How so? Many answers to that. Because when a human being builds a house, he builds the ground floor first and then the second floor. We go, and yet, when God created the world, 
he built the second floor first. He built the heaven because in the be- out of beginnings, right? Out of, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. And amazing that he created this second floor before he created the ground floor. <laughs> but anyway, sometimes it says Shemaim Va'aretz, and sometimes it says Eretz V'Shemaim. Sometimes it says earth first, and then heaven. What's the Torah doing? So listen to what the Rimenover says. Again, remember this whole idea of the dot inside the base of Breshis, right? That it could be a base or maybe it's a vase. Like we have the ability to go either way with creation. So he says that when a person like this, you know, we're, we're earthly beings, at least, you know, our exterior is. At least that's where we're contextualized in this earthly setting. When an earthly being recognizes the hand of God, right? Then he turns um, he turns earth into heaven. Like if you say, okay, how is it that we just happened to meet? I, I wasn't even going to go to this store and now I'm seeing you in this place. This is an amazing thing. So by recognizing like hashkacha pratis, like divine providence and in all the different ways in our life, or, or the, the beauty of God, or whatever it is, like, around. At that moment, you're, you're taking earth, or you're taking heaven, and you're making heaven into earth. Because you're bringing it down, right? So, when, 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 but a person can do the opposite also. They can take something, they can take something heavenly, and by not recognizing the divinity behind it, like make gashmias out of it, meaning to say to, they, they sort of knock out the, the heavenly aspect of it. So that's why sometimes it's written heaven and earth, and sometimes it's written earth and heaven in the Torah, depending on what our perspective is in terms of interacting with the whole. But I think that... Um, it's very useful. I know it's very useful for me that if you ever, like, get into, like, um, a, a place of questioning, like, you know, like, or, or like, you know, like, what am I doing? Like, is, is, you know, like, is this all real? Is it all true? Or whatever it is. If you ever need to sort of, like, have, like, a, a reality check moment with yourself, you know, I think it's very helpful at least it's very helpful for me, you know, to say, well, wait a second, where did this world come from? <laughs> right? Because how can, we, how can we actually attempt to think intelligently about our lives or about anything without asking ourselves that most fundamental question? You know, like... And I don't think that we can ever allow ourselves to be bored by that question <laughs> or for that question to allow ourselves to ever for that question ever to become overly familiar. Right? Because it's shocking that there is a world. It's shocking. Now, you know, I I was able to piece something together. I hope this is accurate. 
I hope the thinking behind it is accurate. The facts that I'm going to give you are, 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 are fact-checked. But I'm putting a couple of things together. So here's number one. Rabbi Nachman says something that I was always sort of intrigued by, and I didn't understand why, but I think I might have the logic for it at this point, which is that, um, that when a person leaves uh, praying, right, you've, you're exiting shul, he says, he gives this etza, right, this piece of holy advice, look up to the sky, and then that increases wisdom. After you daven, when you walk out, look up at the sky, that increases wisdom. So I always liked that because, you know, you know, free wisdom. <laughs> sort of like, like, leave shul, they're giving out wisdom. All you have to do is look up. That, that feels good, you know. But I was al- always, in the back of my mind, I had a question mark, like, what's the connection, <laughs> you know? So I think maybe sort of like piecing it together with something from the Chidush Rim. So there's a famous teaching, and and again, just I'm, I'm trying to, you know, you you've got the um, the phrase that I've become desensitized to something because it's familiar, right? So what I'm trying to do right now is just resensitize us with the fact that there's even a world, right? Because it's the easiest thing to take for granted. So so it says in the Tehillim. And I think I'm paraphrasing, but this is the this is the idea that that the heavens stand by the words by the word of Hashem. Okay, the heavens stand by the word of Hashem. Now, what does that mean? Because it's a it's a this is an amazing idea. If you spend some time, hopefully you'll remember this and you'll think about this. If you spend some time meditating on this, it's really cool. Which is that Hashem said, basically, you know, like, let there be a heaven, right? Or whatever the, the command was. And that the, that the heaven should, the, the heaven stood by the word of Hashem. So I guess God said to the heavens, stand, right? And the heavens, to this moment that we're speaking right now, and this is probably billions of years ago, are still in utter awe and complete surrender to the instruction that they just heard. It's like, you know, it's not like they've been planning bar mitzvahs in between and, you know, like going over taxes and, oh, i got to respond to some emails and, oh, yeah, did God say that? No, they've only heard one thing. There's only... One thing on their mind for the past several billion years, which is that the fact that God said, stand, and they're in this state of total surrender and shock and paralysis from the Word of God. Just standing, right? Because they're in a complete 1,000 supersaturated state of yira. Yira means awe or and or fear, right? Because Yira, there's lower Yira, which is fear of punishment, and there's upper Yira, which is my mind is blown that I can even be in a relationship with the Almighty. <coughs> right? So they're in this place of total, complete Yira to this moment. 
Now, what does it say? Reishis hachma yiras Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is that awe, that fear slash awe of God. Okay, so now putting all these things together, I think that maybe this is what Rabbi Nachman was talking about. That when you walk out of shul, so you're now sensitized, you're in like sort of a God conscious place. You walk up, you look at the sky, and you see that the sky is like still hearing the word of God from billions of years ago because it's in this state of complete and utter yira. And now that yira is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. So you're like, okay, now I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm, now I'm receiving wisdom. Right? So, so again, let's... Let's get back to this idea that, that, first of all, it's not obvious. The world is not obvious. Our lives are not obvious. But God wakes us up, so to speak, right? Our soul comes into this world, especially after our knowledge of everything has been wiped by the angel. And, and God begins the Torah. He begins our lives with, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's very good. <laughs> oh, what does that mean? Eh, never mind. Never mind. It's good. I just heard the word "good" a lot. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm okay. So, okay, you know. So we know. We know it's good. We know it's good. But now we've got this very challenging idea of beginnings, because every single day we have to begin again. Now, I, I, which isn't to say that we shouldn't have our five-year plans, right? Like, right? Like the old communist governments, you know? You're, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's worlds within worlds. It's, it's, it's worlds within worlds. A person has to sort of like be very much in the moment, very present. But if a person is being totally present without an actual, you know, plan for the immediate future, that's a category, that's, 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 that person's a fool. Person's a fool, maybe a very well-intentioned fool, but they're a fool. You have to leave room for spontaneity, but at the same time, it has to be within the context of having an actual plan, right? So, so which again are these are what we call dialectics because because sometimes these are opposite things and they're hard to balance, but 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 this is what's expected of us. This is what we have to try to master. Um, so now so now we have to begin again now listen to this listen, listen to this idea of beginning again every day but let's go to the other side of it you know that the, that the last words on a person's lips after 120 right when we leave the world by the way I just saw a, a headline uh, on Friday um, from uh, a, 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 it's a professor of medicine at NYU Medical School. Okay, it's a very, very legit, very legit source, and he's now putting out his research that the a person knows that they're dead. In other words, that the brain continues to function. It's not like okay, I'm I'm skiing, I'm skiing, I'm skiing. <laughs> 
There, I can avoid that tree. I'm skiing, I'm skiing, I'm skiing. And then, like, and then everything goes black. Because in this version, they hit the tree and they're dead. He's saying that's not the case. That a person's going, I'm skiing, I'm skiing, I'm skiing, I can avoid that tree. Oh, I'm dead now. That the brain recognizes when they are dead. Because just it was just a little tiny write-up of this. I didn't see the paper itself, but in the little write-up they said that basically there's enough blood still flowing in the body itself that the brain is still operating even after death, and so it is registering the reality of its own death. And that therefore it can actually even hear the people talking around it which, believe it or not, is what the Talmud explains thousands of years ago, that until the body is buried, that, that, that the, the, the corpse can actually hear the conversations that are taking place. So here you have another example of Torah or science catching up to Torah. Right? And, and I would suggest, and this is just my own speculation, but if the soul is still sort of hovering around the body, right, because it's, there's stages in which the soul rises, if the soul, which is the true life force of the body, if the soul is still hovering around the body, then it would make sense that the consciousness would still be, because there's an aspect of the soul that even remains even after death, like the little point of the soul still remains, which is one of the reasons why um, it's explained we go to the graves of Sadiqim, of holy people because there's still like a little little something of the person there. You know, it's still a reference point for that soul, the body, because there's a little something there. So 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 if the, the soul hasn't fully ascended, all the more so is it sort of like it's not blood that's being pumped into the brain, but that the life force of the body is still essentially surrounding the body itself. My 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 two cents on that. You know, but just but now they're they're starting to show it scientifically. Um, so anyway, it's 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 getting back to this idea that 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 after 120, when we leave this world, ideally, like like the best case scenario, I guess, um, is that we leave the world with the 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 the, the words Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Right, and I don't know how common that is for that to happen. I think it's a special schus, a special blessing for a person if they're actually able to kind of achieve that, you know. But but anyway, but anyway, isn't it interesting that we say that every night before we go to bed? Now, on a nuts and bolts level, just sort of like one of the reasons why we say it before we go to bed is what if a person passes in their sleep? then they'll have been able to make those their last words. Okay, that's, that's great on a practical level. But on a sort of deeper level, every single day is like a lifetime. Do you, do you hear the point? That just like we want it to be what we say at the end of our lives, every day is like a lifetime. And so this sort of like sleep that we're about to go into is kind of a little miniature death. In fact, the Talmud says that sleep is a small percentage of death. So, so this is a moment where a person can sort of like 
elevate and and elevate all the sparks from that day and like a very holy thing to do is for a person to review the day it's called cheshbon nefesh and if you kind of do like a little review of your day at the at the end before you go to bed like when your head is on the pillow or whatever it is you know you can be sort of a more spiritually organized person you can go oh you know what oh that's right I have to call that person oh that's right I, I should probably apologize to that person oh I made this pledge, I should definitely, you know, you know, pay that, whatever it is, you know, this is, a, this is a good thing to do. But anyway, the point is that that all beginnings are difficult. And um, every day is, is, is a new beginning. Every day is a new beginning. And every night before we go to sleep is a, is a wrap-up. And and, and so now, with all of this in mind, let's just approach the idea of Parshas Noach. <coughs> with the idea that after the beginning, there's another beginning. And what's really kind of like heavy, actually, is that if you, the, 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 the rabbis explain that the laws of nature that we experience, and we say, well, this is the world that God made. God made four seasons, okay? And, and, and everything like that. This is kind of, and there are the constellations in the sky, and that's, this is the world that God made. Yes and no. This is the world that God made after the flood. After the flood. In other words, the world that we're living in right now is not the world of Breshis. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Now I want to throw in another idea. This is my own idea. But the fact that it says that, that the rabbis teach in the Midrash that before God created the world, he created and destroyed many worlds. That's an established Torah teaching. But it would seem... Like, we think that all that's before us. And yet, you see, God is creating this world with Adam and Chava, and that Adam and Chava are like these creatures of light, not like us, right? And then, and then all of a sudden, that world gets destroyed, and this new world that we currently live in gets created. It would seem to suggest, and you can, as they say, take it or leave it, but that process of creating and destroying worlds wasn't... Can, w- w- the Torah begins with the very tail end of that, as opposed to that that process was already finished. It seems that the creation of a world and the destroying of a world was still... that cycle was still taking place. And that this world that we live in right now, this is kind of like well, this is the world that was set about to be created from the outset. Um, it's a thought. It's a thought. It's a thought. But so now, said, just... What, so... So now I just want to kind of begin to wrap it up. And I just want to say, well, wait a second, you say, so, just to recognize, I think, again, something, for me, this is a deep idea, but it's kind of just 
kind of right there. It's just kind of in front of our face if we just see it. Which is that then, then creation really isn't really fully registering or fully taking place until after the flood. But then you say, well, wait a second. What kind of creation is wiping out the world? That's a, that seems like a strange kind of way to create. So, so I want to tell you something, which is, you know, there are, if you study the laws of Shabbos, there are 39 categories of creating, okay? And, you know, I, I heard, I think it was Rabbi Manus Friedman say something very amazing, which is 39 is sort of strange. Why don't we say there's 40 categories of creating, because 40 is like a very sort of comfortable Torah number where you've got zillions of 40s, right? What is this 39 categories business? Because there is another category of creating, which is creating something out of nothing. And since human beings aren't capable of doing that, we don't have to worry about that category of work on Shabbos. <laughs> like, you know, that one you're not over. <laughs> You know, whatever you're doing on Shabbos, that one you're keeping. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about that one. So, so, but otherwise, you've got 39 categories of creating. Now listen to this. Very interesting. Do you know that one of the categories of creating, and of course, of course, it's, it's, I, I should bring out this point because it's very relevant to the topic, is that how do we know that there are 39 categories, Right? And we know it because these were the 39 categories of building the Mishkan, which is basically the Beis HaMikdash. It's the prototype of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, which is the portal between heaven and earth. It's connecting heaven and earth. Okay? So, so, So when we're talking about keeping these laws, we're talking about that we're basically... Connecting heaven and earth. That's what's happening on Shabbos. What is the Messianic period called? Yom Shekula Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. So in other words, in other words, when, when we're keeping Shabbos and we're keeping these 39 things, we're basically turning the world itself into a Mishkan. That's the idea. We're building the world into a Mishkan. Okay? Or you can say it like this. This is, I think, a, a, a more accurate and, and deeper way to say it. Six days of the week we're doing it. The seventh day we aren't doing it. Six days of the week we're laboring in these 39 categories of labor in order to turn the world into a mikdash. Because that's, that, like the Ramban says that. That's the whole narrative structure to Sefer Shmos. We leave Egypt, we get the Torah. It's not that we build the Mishkan. We leave Egypt, we get the Torah, then we turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. That, that, that's the idea. So six days out of the week, we're doing the 39 categories of labor in order to turn the world into a dwelling place for God, bless you. And on the seventh day, it's like, it's just like, it's just, it's beyond, 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 right? Like, like just like, we're just, just, like the, the depths of the process that we don't even know are taking place in terms of all the fixing and all the building and all the integration and all the light coming down and all the strength for us to have more strength to do more building. Okay.
So now let's get to the point. One of the 39 categories that you can do on Shabbos, right, is actually destroying. So you say, well, wait a second. I thought that these were the 39 categories that I'm not supposed to do because I'm not supposed to be creating. But there is a level of destroying which is for the purpose of creating. And if you're destroying for the purpose of creating, that's also called creating, even though it manifests itself as destruction. So with that in mind, if you, if you, if you, like, from my own life, when we, 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 my wife and I didn't know what we were doing, we, we bought this house, I, I didn't even, I didn't want it, I grew up in an apartment, I was like, what do we need this for? She's like, it's a good thing. So I often say I, my, my biggest problem is I only listen to my wife 99% of the time. You know? so this is one of the times I, I did listen. I was like, okay, so let's get it. So we get it. And it's like, it's a, nothing we can move into. It's not in that type of shape. And then we get like, you know, a contractor comes and he says, well, okay, so this is what you want in the house here. This is... And we look at them just like, we can't afford that. So it's like, we, so we're stuck with this thing. It's just sitting there. We, we, we can't do anything with it. We can't move into it. We can't fix it up. And then we meet this Mexican guy with a sledgehammer. <laughs> and we're like, seems good. This, let's go that route. <laughs> you know? And this is after the house has been sitting there for, I think, close to a year. Right? And one day I show up and he's like swinging this sledgehammer and knocking down walls and there's like billows of plaster. Right? And, and I see it and I remember thinking, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Which seems like an odd reaction because someone is, you are, not only is, you, you, someone is actively destroying your property. But it was beautiful because progress was being made. And I understood that that tearing down was the pur- for the purpose of building up something. And in that context, in the context of all beginnings are difficult. In that context, that understanding that destruction is also a form of creation. Let's now reconsider the flood of Noah and understand that that destruction was also part of the creation. That that was the final step of basically what we have right now, which is getting rid of the bad and understanding that in terms of Breshis, it's like our classic our classic paradigm from Tehillim, from the Psalms. Sur Avoid bad, do good. These are twin aspects, twin dynamics that got weaved into the creation of the entire world, right? In the beginnings, all beginnings are difficult, in the beginning of the world, right? Which is creating something beautiful and then taking away, taking away the bad that was in it. And then all of a sudden, what happens after Parshas Noach? Lech Lecha, the first Jew. Right? Because everyone wants to know. You know, the Medrash, the Medrash asks this question. The Medrash asks this question. 
Why did God put Adam in the Garden of Eden? Why didn't he put Abraham in the Garden of Eden? That's, the Medrash asked this question. But seen in this light, seen in this light, really Abraham is right there at the beginning. Right? Because it's Breshis, it's Noah. Right? And now all of a sudden we've got Avraham, because we're ready to start at this point. We're ready to start, and there he is. And there he is. And you want to hear something? Lech Lecha is Gematria 100. And we were saying that there are 10 spheros, and each of the spheros contains all the other spheros. So you've got, you've got 100 levels of the 10 spheros. So Lech Lecha, Avraham Avinu, in other words, he's entering right as everything is completed. And, and, what is the, and what is the journey of Lech Lecha? So it's going from, right, Ur Kazdim, right, to Canaan or to Israel. That's on one level. But Lech Lecha is also just climbing. Lech Lecha is a hundred. Abraham is climbing to the top of creation. <laughs> Right? And remember, he's got ten tests, ten sphero, and in the last of the ten tests, you know what, you know what word, what phrase is used? Lech lecha. It's not just the first test, it's also the tenth test. So you've got this reminder that, you know, the whole landscape of creation is opening up to us. So how do we do it? And we'll just wrap it up on this point. How do we do it? 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 So, I, I can't let go of this thought because it's just, I think it's just too far-reaching, which is that how could it be, how could it be in a, in a million years, how could it be that God chooses as the way to end the Torah, le'ene kol Yisrael, with those words, before the eyes of all Israel. And what does that mean, before the eyes of all Israel? That it says in the context of the verse that Moshe did, Wondrous things. Le'enei kol Yisrael, before the eyes of all Israel. Look at the Rashi there. He smashed the luchos. He smashed the tablets of the Torah. How could it be that God chose to end the Torah with the smashing of the Torah? <laughs> who would end, who would end the Torah that way? Who would, not me. No, like if you said, okay, David, you know, it's, it's good. You got a lot of good things here. I like the not murder thing. That was excellent. It's going to be really helpful. But, but you got to do another draft. You're not there yet. You know, I, you'd have to bring on another writer because I am never going to get to the point where I go, I got it. I got the end. It's the smashing of the luchos. But, but that's what God wanted. That, that's how God ends the Torah. So then the question is why? Why? So, so my understanding is that when you finish the Torah, you've got to realize you haven't even begun the Torah. Whatever you thought about the Torah, you've got to smash it. You've got to smash it. You've got to get rid of all of your, pre, your preconceptions. And now the Avstraf Sarebi says that brings a Medrash, that the Bays of Breshis, Bays, remember, is two, stands for the two eyes. And I think that's another level of this, that we're smashing, we're smashing everything 
so that we can have new eyes to see what the creation is. Oh, and now, man, I'm blowing my own mind. You know something? <laughs> Listen to this. Because you need, you need new eyes. What is, what is the black spot in your eye, the pupil in your eye? That's the dot in the bays of Rashis. Now for some questions and answers. Uh, first of all, Shkoyach, thank you again. May Hashem really allow these, these words, your talks, to reach all ears around the world. Uh, it's great tikkun uh, to listen to you speak. Uh, so I was really blown away reading Parshat Noach. Uh, I really read it more carefully this year uh, than other, other, other years. I noticed that um, Hashem wipes away all the creatures of the, of the sky and of the earth, but not the creatures of the sea. So the creatures of the sea have remained essentially untouched or evolved by themselves. And I was like, wow, I was super blown away because I love spotted eagle rays and manta rays yeah. and, uh, you know, dragon moray eels. And I feel like the sea is like, it's so high and incredible and mysterious. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, my question is, what's going on, Hashem, with all the, all the destruction? I mean, the coral reefs have been annihilated since the 19, like, 1960s or 50s it started. And uh, there's fish populations that have dropped tremendously, and like we're losing all this kedusha. It feels like right. I was wondering. Right. Uh, I don't hear maybe Rabbi's talking about it, but right. I feel there's a connection there. So. Yeah, I'm just you know I'm I'm just being re- reminded of. I mentioned it before, but I, I told you I took this trip uh, a few weeks ago to JPL to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. All right. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're in charge of, they run all the unmanned space missions. Like, they put the lunar rover on Mars, right? And I was, like, in the room that they were celebrating, like, like the, 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 the command center, you know? And um, one of the things that they said was, we really have to take care of Earth. Like, like they're environmentalists. And I thought, that's so interesting, because their whole perspective is not Earth. It's like all the, all the, they call them exoplanets, which means planets, there are planets which are outside of our solar system, right? And they're investigating those and everything like that. But they, they said, we don't know for sure if any of these are inhabitable, right? We don't know. Maybe, maybe they are, maybe they're not. And how do we get to them and all the rest, right? In a practical way. So as such, we better take care of the one that we know is a, is a sure thing, which is this one. So it's just interesting to me that someone whose entire career is all about, in a way, not Earth, you know, comes at the end of their process to reappreciate Earth, right? So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it's just, a, it's just a question of us kind of like just exploring what our responsibility is to, to, the, to the planet, you know? I mean, it's sort of like we have this, we've been tasked with sort of like... <laughs> bless you, like, d- dominion, whatever dominion means, you know, because, but, but we have some, we have free choice, which means we have responsibility. We have some degree of dominion over this planet, but, but dominion can't be rapaci- rapaciousness, if that's if I'm saying that word properly. You know, it can't just be um, a, a cavalier ownership, right? It, 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 dominion means like a wise king. And, 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 you know, there, you know, as we become more fully aware of the consequences of our action, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll become sort of more responsible. Amen. A 
question and maybe an answer, I don't know, um, or suggestion. I mean, you know, Hashem, you know, didn't need to do all that, did he? I mean, he could have just given us the world post Noah. I mean, so why did he create this one and then set it up so that there was a world, there was a post Noah world? And um, I think the notion of permanence almost um, maybe required impermanence to be visible or in our in our memory in, the, in our cultural cultural DNA memories. Um, Isaiah. Uh, Cole Porter stole from Isaiah and said, the mountains may crumble, Gibraltar may tumble, they're only made of clay. Our love is here to stay. Amen. So, yeah. maybe, maybe that impermanence is there for us to, to know that it was there. And then God saying, no more impermanence. Right, so I, I would, I, it, it, just to sort of like add my two cents to that, what, what I would suggest is that, that what God is communicating to us is that there is a process going on. Remember, if I, if I use the word, if I use the word first, right, if I say you're first, that implies that there's a second and a third, right? So, um, so what's 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 I think what and I heard this thought originally from Rabbi Tatz, the fact that God says in the beginning, the term beginning implies middle and end. So in other words, from the very outset, and this is I think we're we're sort of saying the same thing right now, from the very outset, God is telling us there's this process going on and that we're heading towards something. And if you want to use the word that what we're heading toward is permanence or perhaps perfection or perhaps the messianic era or perhaps the day that will be all Shabbos, they're, they're different phraseologies. But they're all, they're all pointing us to this evolution that's taking place in terms of us as human beings and our society and reality as a whole. Is it the house you live in now? We moved in and then unfortunately sold it. <laughs> so you got over your buyer's remorse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were able to finally move in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I tell you, but part of the, part of the, part of the process was uh, we had to paint it because it was, you know, kind of a little bit, it was semi-decrepit. And so... But we still couldn't move into it because we had no contractor. We couldn't afford a contractor. It was just... So we put like four or five swatches of color paint on the outside of the house. Like, you know, maybe one foot by one foot boxes of color. And it was up there on the, on the house for several months. And every once in a while we'd sort of visit the house and scratch our heads. And like, we can't seem to make any progress in terms of moving in it. But we'd see that it was sort of like a like a, a, a sport for
for the neighbors to actually stand in front of our house and go, you know, I don't know, I think that the more orangey one looks good. I think they should go with that. And, you know, it was sort of like a, a neighborhood game for people to sort of like, you know, pick the color. So, anyway. So just when you got over any buyer's remorse, that's when you had to sell it? Yeah, there was no buyer's remorse. There was sort of um, uh, buyer's incompetence <laughs> would, be, would be a better way of saying it. <laughs> so you were bringing up this concept of beginnings. They're constantly happening and they're very confusing. And as you're speaking, it, it appeared to me that, like you said, with the spheres, with Evermovino going through it, there's so many levels upon levels upon levels which there me therefore means there's a ton of billable, there's a ton of confusion. Mm. Yeah. So how are we as, like Jews, yes, we can follow the Torah, but again, there's so many levels of Torah, especially in our modern day, we're very right. blessed with the ability of choosing different paths and kind yes. of making our own, and I really kind of believe that in our generation, there's no really one leader of Israel like there used to be, even us than a hundred years ago, you had Rav Moshe Feinstein, you had the Babatur Rebbe, you had Rav Aaron Cutler, you had these people who could really kind of lead us. And today we don't have that as much, so how are we supposed to kind of find that within ourselves? Are we supposed to sift through the billboard and find like kind of our own way and not get lost right. in it? Find that Nakuda right. base. So it says in Pirkei Avos, Aselech HaRav, that you have to have a Rav, and that never is, is untrue. Um, even if it seems like um, there's no maybe world leader or single world leader or you know two or three or four whatever it is, there are always gedolim. There are always great ones in a generation, whether they're uh, widely known or not. But on an individual level, having that 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 person is still something that everyone uh, needs to have. And 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 I think it's as 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 simple as that. But it's sometimes hard to find that person, and sometimes at different stages of your life, it's a different person. But having that person in place is is important because, as the Rambam says, we we have this um, sort of like this uh, this this downside, and in, in in modern parlance, this sounds like a good thing, but he's using it in a negative sense. We have this thing called self-love. Now that's we need self-esteem, and we need to love ourselves. But this thing called self-love is the idea of not being objective about our own actions and forgiving ourselves for things that we should actually be a little more careful about. And having a Rav in place um, sort of like um, gives us more clarity and makes us less um, susceptible to that sort of like spiritual um, trap. I was actually... Uh I was doing some reading study this week in one of the shuls and came across an interesting thing that was in the Gomorrah. And it talked about how before the flood, the earth had no tilt to it. Then, uh, uh, then after the flood, Hashem tilted the earth. The reason being because when it's untilted, there's no sicknesses, no illnesses, and so on. And the people at the time took everything for granted and were not thankful. So by tilting mm -hmm. the earth, bringing illnesses into the world. That way, when we sit and recover, now we're gratitude to Hashem for what we have. Yeah, yeah. Like Rabbi Rabbi Freeman was saying yesterday, that the that the constellations, that the Raman says that the constellations were sort of fixed. That's a post-flood phenomena. So there are all sorts of, and I'm sure that would have to do with the axis of the Earth as well. So there are all sorts of things that, like fine-tuning, that happened afterwards. Yeah.
We're uh, doing, I think, the story we were talking about how Sukkot, the Sukkot had the Gemashi of 100, and you mentioned Lechaka 100, but there's something that I'm forgetting that turned into the Sukkot. Yeah, the, the 100 shofar blasts of Rosh Hashanah. Shofar blasts. Right, so you've got the 100 shofar blasts of Rosh Hashanah becoming Schach, which is Gematria 100, right? That's like the whole world is turning into basically, because there's a hundred levels of the Sefirot, right? So that's like the whole world turning into like being able to see God through the Schach, so to speak. I was saying that's like our eyelashes, right? You know? And now it's turning into... And now it's it's the Lech Lecha, that hundred is now the Lech Lecha of Avraham Avinu. So there's like this incredible you know, progression going on, this, this incredible journey, you know. It'd be great to see like a painting of like the chauffeur blast ultimately becoming Avraham Avinu's journey, wow. right? Like charting that in a beautiful way. Yeah, I, would, I would love to see that painting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>